This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. From the ArmeniaProud.com studios. Genatsat Hayed. This is a toast to Armenia with Jono Kabinjian. A comprehensive look at the Armenian culture only on lineupmedia.fm. Genatsat, Genatsat, Pai Luis Inchpesek, my friends. Brian, how are you? I'm doing quite well. Uh, Brian, uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be yeah. back on the show. And uh, hey, folks, I know I got a lot of messages from you guys out there. Why didn't you go to Armenia? Well, I tell you what, I was battling some sort of a knee, ligament problem, whatever it was. And uh, it was so cool seeing all my friends uh, in Armenia message me. And, uh, you know, it, it was fun. It was fun seeing that uh, people do care about me. That, yeah. That's, that, that's, that's great. And the show is popular. Yes, it absolutely is. And uh, last week we uh, put our first one out in a while, and uh, it seems like we got some good numbers. And hopefully we continue this trend again, and uh, everything starts working out again. Again, when you got a bad knee, it's like uh, I don't, I don't know. They gave us some steroid shot. Uh, they, they said I'm too young to have a knee replacement. Yeah, and I'm uh, too old. I, 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 I guess it's just. Stick with the ibuprofen and take your steroid shot every three months is yeah. what they, they told me. So you were you were hobbling around the office for a, a good uh, good while there. Yeah, and I I still am. Yeah, I still yeah. am. So in any case, uh, we got this thing rolling again, and uh, I'm glad we got everything on the track again, and we'll get the show rolling for you guys on a weekly basis. Ryan, our guest for this week. Well, she's a returning guest, and she had some. She had a beautiful uh, run at this thing. Uh, she was talking to us, uh, and that's Telma Altoon. She was t- telling us about this big run she's going to have in Death Valley. And, yeah, uh, I remember it, that. It was, I think it was called the 2018 Badwater, and uh, this one was a big deal. And Makes my body hurt just thinking about it. I'm, I'm telling you. <laughs> I, I think she, she told us, she promised us that she would be back to tell us how things went in the race, and we got the honor of having her back on. At Armenia Proud, and that's Telma Altoon. How are you? I'm well, very well. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's great to be back with you guys. Uh, Telma, uh, I read about it. It sounded like, oh, oh my God, we we had a life threatening situation almost. <laughs> I mean, I, I felt um, your pain there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the race didn't turn out as, as, as good as I'd hoped. And that's part of um, ultra running. Some of the races turn out really well, and it's your day, and, and you rock. And then the rest, um, uh, sometimes they don't turn out as well, or your body doesn't cooperate as, as much as you want. And this one, yeah, it, um, coincidentally, if that's ever possible, um, Death Valley was experiencing extreme heat um, advisory. So... Uh, more than usual. Um, actually, um, I guess July 24th, the second day in the race, um, was the hottest day ever recorded, um, in, even in Death Valley, 127 degrees, which is 53 Celsius. So, um, yeah, there were 99 runners and about 30 of them, like me, didn't make it. Um, what um, I started out just fine. It was 118 degrees at the start, so it wasn't 
terrible because I did train in that heat. Um, and I felt great. I, I felt great. Legs were moving great. I actually had to talk to myself to ease the pace down, to not push it so that it wouldn't catch up with me. Um, my team was on it. They were cooling me and they were giving me food. Um, so the first about 30 miles went great. <laughs> first and 30 then, miles. Um, after about, yeah, after about the third, first 30, it's, um, I guess it caught up with me, the heat and the nighttime and, I started uh, experiencing um, uh, blood in my urine, which uh, honestly for the sport, it's normal. It happens. And uh, if you push through it, sometimes it clears back up and you proceed with your race. Other times, um, if you push through it, you get kidney failure and 11 days of hospitalization and dialysis. And then, you know, um, it's not uh, deadly, but... um, I've seen friends of mine experience that. It's not fun when they push through. Um, so, yeah, I started around mile 30, and my team was uh, a bit concerned at that point. And I was drinking and taking the electrolytes and everything I was supposed to do, but I felt great. Um, I was very proud to be there as an Armenian female, and um, uh, there was nothing that was going to stop me in this race. So. Uh, We pushed through, we passed mile 50, and then I had at that point um, seen a medic also just to be on top of it, and they had given me a solution usually that stops the um, blood in the urine Um, because uh, usually it's from pressure on the kidneys. Um, um, So with ultra running, because you don't run just a few hours and you're running, you know, 13, 20, you know, 30, 40 hours straight, your body's working hard. You get no rest here, Thelma? You're not resting at all? No, it's not. No, because the clock is ticking, so you can't just pull on the side of the road and rest. The clock is ticking, and my pace was calculated. Uh, it's not like um, you, you know, sprint, you know, and then you can rest a bunch. It's not like that. You have to really control your pace. So um, you, you can stop. You know, they do uh, want to switch your water up. I mean, every two miles I had to have my team there because my the water in my hand would get so hot if I hadn't drank it yet it was just it was unbearably hot um and I had to have ice on my head ice on my neck um on all the arteries keeping me cool completely wet the entire time I was being sprayed that's the only way to keep your body temperature cool enough where you don't overheat and have extreme medical conditions. Um, regardless, once we passed mile 50, at that point, I'd already urinated three times with the blood in my urine, and it wasn't clearing. And um, so at that point, I was very concerned for my general health. Uh, I don't want to just do this one time. This is ultra running is something I, I want to do for, for a long period of time. It's a joy in my life and has a big purpose, the Armenian purpose. Um, so it was really a call whether I push through and I have kidney failure versus we stop and call it quits and, and not get hospitalized. So the third urine showed blood again, and I decided to withdraw. And it was a very difficult, disappointing, um, absolutely crushing, crushing uh, decision to well, be made. Don't, my team, you can't be down yeah. on yourself. It was incredible how you held our flag. When has an Artsakh flag ever waved in the middle of some desert in the United States in a 
in a racing competition. I mean, honest to God, that that alone is just beautiful. And knowing someone's representing our flag doing this, I think you accomplished plenty. I really do. Thank you, but I I was intended on on showing that at the finish line. Yeah, I yeah. was really, I really wanted that for us and and for the flag, and it was very important to me. Yeah, I I understand. And, uh, I understand. Yeah. Uh, tell me, when you are doing this, when you're, is this uphill or is this just a straight flatland desert uh, highway? Well, no, it's it's a highway. Um, it's all pavement, and I'm mostly a trail and mountain runner. But you do pass three mountain passes, and it was a little over fourteen thousand foot of gain. So um, I was over the first mountain pass um, by mile sixty, and then beyond that, you have two other mountain passes. So yeah, there's a total gain of fourteen thousand feet. It's not just flat running. Wow. Um, yeah, it's uh, the and but you do notice, you know, the air shifting from extreme heat at the bottom of the valleys, and then when you gain altitude, you go up a thousand feet at a time. You notice a bit of a cooling, five degrees here and there, and then you come down, and then again you're in the massive heat. And of course, this year it was uh, extreme heat advisory and warnings. It was a little out of control, so they had the most amount of withdrawals this year, uh, according to the race director. So. Um, I guess I'm in good company, but it doesn't make it feel better um, because of the Armenian factor. So, no, tell me, I'm telling you right now, you made us all proud. So uh, don't even think about anything else. But uh, you know what? You tried, and I don't think there's one Armenian. I, if I if I went the first 200 yards, you might have seen me drop dead and have vultures eating me <laughs> because there's no way I'm going out in that desert and doing anything like this. So this was remarkable that you uh, you tried something like this. And to me, no matter what, and I'll speak for all the Armenians out there as well, you're a winner. You're a winner. In our book, you're a winner. You, you got to hoist our flag and do this. And here's what I – you guys are tougher than the Tour de France bike riders, and I'll tell you why, because they they stop – they they all stop. They switch shirts. They wear a little polka dot shirt. Some of them and yellow shirt. But you guys are just you. You keep going, and your I guess your worst enemy is yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no sleeping, you know, um, overnight or any of that. You just go straight through, and and you have to because the clock is ticking. So and already, you know, cooling off and getting fed and getting enough calories and and bathroom needs those things already take time away as the clock is ticking so what do you mean by that what do you mean by the clock is ticking is this like you have to have this done at a certain time yes yes i did not know that yes there is a 48 hour cutoff and then at mile 50 there was a cutoff um Ah. the whole thing is yeah so at mile 50 um because the extreme heat there are a lot of people behind and uh, the race director was literally standing there and cutting them all and not letting them continue because they hadn't reached the point they're supposed to reach. Um, but yeah, so I reached that point and I was watching that occur in front of me. It was pretty difficult emotionally because you know everybody has put so much in coming in there, preparation financially, you know, team-wise, and people are traveling from around the world getting there and then 
they get there and they don't make the 50. It was painful. Yeah. So going beyond that, at that point, I was already experiencing my physical issues. I thought, I'm going to fight through this and we got to keep going. So we did continue beyond that. And then it just got worse and worse by a 60 mile 60. It was just a, a decision to be made. Yeah. How many, how so, many females were doing this? Um, 32 females out of the 99 runners. Yeah. It's mostly men um, who are stronger and et cetera. So, but the number of females has increased um, in this race. Now, is there a uh, male winner and a female winner, or is there just one winner in this? Yes. Okay. No, they do recognize uh, overall, um, the female and overall male winner. Yes. Um, the Italian uh, uh, 30-some-year-old um, guy won. He, his name is uh, Mikhail Grazia. He's actually a friend of mine uh, that I trained with. And then uh, the women's winner was Brenda Goyardo. Uh, she's pretty good. She's been at the race. Two other times. This was her third time, her first win. Uh, she's uh, she's an ultra runner, but she's a mainly road ultra runner, unlike me. I'm a mountain ultra runner. She's a road ultra runner. She's sponsored athlete. She does this full time. So I swear, um, I thought it was you were going to tell me a Kenyan runner or a Somalian runner oh, because no. they they just love mm-hmm. running long distance. I thought for sure it's going to be uh, yeah, someone no, from Africa. First of all, no, they, they're actually, none of them are at all in this sport, um, believe it or not. They do the marathons because marathons are Olympic sport. It makes money. Uh, they can make a living off of it. But in ultra running, it's not recognized in the Olympics yet. And um, How? There are no Kenyans. How is this not recognized? It's not. There has been a fight to get the 50-mile event and 100-mile event. Uh, as an Olympic event, but that's seven, ten years trying. At, it's not yet an Olympic. It's a, it's a sport known within the endurance community. It's not widely known because of it's not an Olympic sport and not recognized. Yeah. Can you believe yeah, so that, Brian? You don't. Yeah. I, I, Brian, you, this is not recognized as one day even the Olympic sport. And when when the Olympics formed, wasn't it? Wasn't it because one Greek runner ran for miles and miles to well, warn a, a town? That's that, how that's how the marathon was started. The Olympics were started before yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, but this yeah, is much was and, and the city that he ran to was was called Marathon, right. or ran from was Marathon. Yeah. I don't either way. All right, thank you, Brian. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that one. Yeah. It is a shame though, because ultra yeah, marathoning should a, be a sport. Go ahead. Yeah, Tama. it's a different sport. Yeah, this is a different sport. It's it's altogether different sport. Training is different. Gear equipment is different. It's really a different sport. And uh, the the people who are really good at it are known around the world for it. Instead of Kenyans and Ethiopians in marathons, or in this sport, uh, those people are the Europeans, uh, Italians and Spaniards and and the French because they have the Alps and they train up there in altitude and mountainous uh, terrain and and they're very good at it. So. Um, I see. Um, yeah. Well, uh, what's your, uh, I mean, whenever you got done with that, uh, how long did it take for your body to recover from something like this? Um, honestly, athletically speaking, I recovered within a couple of days. I was fine because the mileage, you know, I've run obviously races longer than that. Um, so, um, it, it didn't, I, it didn't, I wasn't tired physically, which was 
one of the frustrating parts because I was well trained going into it. But uh, my urine took about three additional days beyond when we stopped the race um, to clear. And what's that recover? Just uh, just keep drinking water and just keep hydrated? Yeah, or? yeah. Electrolytes and salt my um, to even out the salt and sugars and yeah it's just to hydration and getting out of the heat to not have pressure on the kidneys like I did and the stress of it all must have um, gotten to my kidneys so um, uh, it's it's a stressful environment you don't just run you know you have to deal with an entire team and an entire vehicle that's following you and then uh, unlike other races you know I. I get to run in the mountains in 100-mile races or, or, or more or stage races, whatever it is. But you run for hours at a time, and you're free to run and focus and enjoy. Um, this is very different and technically difficult because of the heat. And the precautions you have to take and you're mandated to take per race rules, it makes it a very different run. You know, having to stop every two miles, not completely stop, but having, you know, to be grabbing things and given, given things and be giving things to your team and having the team dynamic, which were four men trying to help me um, there. It, it makes for a very mentally challenging um, uh, process as well. And then you have the dynamics within the team. Uh, that you sometimes stress about and worry about. And so um, it's overall a, a challenge in a whole different way. Now, is this your team in this uh, photo? I'm looking at it. Uh, you're wearing your white outfit, and the people around you, two on each side, they're wearing the uh, yellow neon. This was your team? Yes, yes. Um, Yes, the yellow neon is required by the city. I mean, the park services, Death Valley National Park, requires the race director to have everyone who's out there on the course wear those OSHA shirts so they're visible so they don't get, you know, um, run over. Um, yeah, the team members were, I actually had only three team members. One of them uh, had gotten sick, so wasn't able to make it last minute. So last minute we added an additional team member, Bob Becker, who's very experienced. But uh, two of my team members were Armenian, Alot Shabardian and Hagob. Um, they're mountaineers. They didn't necessarily have ultra any experience. It was the first time for them. I believe it was pretty difficult and, and challenging for them and eye-opening and shocking to be there doing what they're doing. And then the fourth team member was Balmer Flores, who is a friend of mine that I've trained with a lot and has actually uh, crewed me, paced me on my last 100-miler to a second-place finish. Um, so he really knows what ticks me and knows how to push me. So he was, uh, an asset to the team for sure. Um, yeah, those guys gave up, uh, their, um, uh, days to be there with me night and day, not sleep, get in the car in the heat. Um, they also heat trained, uh, they were there just at my beck and call trying to, to, uh, help me. Bravo. That is so cool. Yeah, that is so cool. I think that, uh, the Armenians that were part of your team, uh, you may disagree or whatever, but I'm telling you, we, we couldn't have been any prouder of seeing uh, you hoist uh, hold that Armenian uh, Artsakh flag. And uh, whatever you did, I mean, we're still so proud of w what you accomplished. And uh, I'm telling you, if I was Armenian right there with your team, I would feel the same way. So th this was beautiful. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so there was only 100 of you. 
Yes, 99 uh, on the 99. starting line. So Death Valley, yeah, Death Valley National Park doesn't allow the race director to have more than that because each athlete comes with a vehicle and the four crew. So you're ending up having, you know, hundreds of people on this route, 135-mile route. So right. it's, um, it's right. a lot to handle, yeah. How many countries were represented here? 22 countries. 22 countries. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, tell me, what's, yeah. uh, what's the game plan here? Are you uh, planning on doing something like this? Maybe not in the desert. Somewhere else? <laughs> um, yeah, I race throughout the year all the time. And, yeah, I, I am planning on doing other races, uh, 100 milers or more. Um, nothing is on the schedule yet within the next month or so, but um, – it, it is racing season, and I'm in good shape, and I don't want to lose the strength I've got and built working so hard for this one. So, yeah, I'm going to be racing pretty soon. And you know what? We'd love to hear where you're running, and maybe we can get our fans out. If it's in California somewhere, uh, holding some flag with uh, your face and all that, uh, your name all over the place, I, I don't know, just uh, make it to where you feel, hey, you know what? That's really cool. <laughs> That's really cool seeing uh, other Armenians supporting me on this. So, thank you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your support. It means a lot. It's uh, it's it's unique to to have that, and I thoroughly appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Thelma. Anytime you're a friend of the show, and we'd love to hear from you on uh, what your next project is, and uh, we'll be cheering you on, pal. Thank you, thank you, John. No, I appreciate it, folks. That was. Thelma Altoon, and uh, God bless her, Brian. God yeah. bless her, man. I mean, uh, she, I, and I don't want to say try because uh, in her mind, that's kind of a defeating purpose. But what she did was uh, 99 people in this entire planet tried this. That's yeah. it. And she was one of them. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, what, 140, 150 degrees? Uh, running out there, hundred yeah, ten. It, it is said. it is absolute insanity what what these people go through, and uh, it is amazing like to even even attempt it. Right, like right. It, the the level of of endurance. skill and endurance and just like sheer will to even uh, uh, try and accomplish that. It, like, and you're fighting yourself. Yeah, you're it's really yourself. it's really more of a fight against yourself and then a fight against nature. And and she she had no reason to get choked up, like at all about that. She, yeah, she what she did was up, amazing. She? What she did was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, God bless, uh, Thelma, and we want to hear your next what wherever you're running again. We want to be a part of it as well on Armenia Proud. Well, you know what? It's time for our uh, Anush segment, and Anush has got a another great guest. Yeah. Another great guest, a wine guest. So let's get to that right now. Uh, welcome to another episode on Toast to Armenia, Armenia Proud. And this is the wine segment with Anush. Today, uh, I am visiting a good friend, uh, a winemaker. 
in Passerobles. Uh, I have uh, recorded another interview in Passerobles, and this is our second stop. Uh, Edward is our guest today, and Edward was um, one of the participants at the Guinea Fest, which took place in June, and it was the Armenian Wine Festival. So he came with his wines, and everybody absolutely loved his wines. So today I'm visiting him to try more of his wines and actually to interview him and learn more about him and share with you the story so you guys can come out and visit and taste your wines and meet him in person. Hi, Edward. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you for having um, me and my family here. Of course. Thanks for coming. We're really enjoying and how exciting is it to be at this new location of yours? It's pretty amazing. It feels great to be here. I'm pretty much ready to be done with the old location and just be fully moved in here. So before we um, get into all that, um, because this uh, podcast is on the Armenia Proud, um, I always ask my uh, questions uh, of the Armenian. I mean, how how are you related uh, to the Armenians? Are you Armenian? Who is Armenian in the family? Definitely Armenian. My dad is 100% Armenian. He was born in Jerusalem, and then his family lived in Jordan before moving to Australia later. And that's, I think he grew up in Australia until he was about 16. And uh-huh. came to either, came to England and then met my mom. And then I'm half British, so that's how. Oh, wow. So half British, half Armenian. And then they came to the States, and that's where I became became about, born here. Huntington Amazing. I mean, what a uh, long journey to... Come here. It's pretty wild. Know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all, all, all the Armenian people have these uh, amazing stories, amazing journeys, and it's wonderful for me. I feel so privileged to meet you guys and talk to you thank and you, share your you. story. I love always hanging. So, um, so what is your background? Are you? Um, how did you get into the wine, and what did you do before that? Well, originally, my undergraduate degree was in accounting, so right out of college, and even during college, I worked as an accountant at wineries and kind of learned that I wanted to be in the wine industry indefinitely, but I didn't enjoy the accounting aspect, so I kind of realized that the winemakers were having a lot more fun, so I kind of asked them, how the heck do I do what you guys are doing, and then... Their first thing was you got to go back to UC Davis and complete, you know, your degree in winemaking. So that's what I did. Went back to Davis, got my master's, and ever since then it's been just working my way up the ladder. Um, so did you guys always live in Passerobles? No, I started in the Napa Sonoma region and ended up getting a job offer that brought me down here, and then I just fell in love with the area and I've been here ever since. That is amazing. I mean, um, I love wine. I enjoyed working in um, Napa Valley. Definitely. But uh, uh, what are who, whom did you work for in Napa? Cake what? Red was a was a big name, of course. Yeah, I've worked for the likes of Ron Bauer as well. Oh wow, just That's... doing some some small things there. Kenzo Estate, we've done consulting work for them. A lot of big names. That's so it's been a great experience. Chateau Saint Jean was a stint there. It was a good experience. More Kenwood Sonoma region, but working for Margo at the time, she's an awesome winemaker. I think she still is a winemaker, but she was awesome. And That's great. Seeing some great wines being made over my career and. It's just been a beautiful, beautiful thing. So then you got the job offer to uh, be in Paso, and then you decided to stay in Paso. Correct. Fell in love with it. The people, the community, the town, the grapes, everything. Yeah. So um, what? Uh, when did you start making your own wine? When you decided that, okay, now it's time for me to concentrate on my own? I'd always made wine in my apartment, 
but uh, the first commercial vintage wine I'd made was back in 2008. It was a Pinot Noir. It was the first time I'd made anything that I sold to any restaurant. Wow. Going strong ever And since. Pinot Noir from Paso or from That was Sonoma. North? So that was when I was working as an accountant at the time. I happened to be at a Custom Crush facility, so I had access to getting licensing and all that for me. So they helped me get my brand started and launched, and I just kind of kept going with it. Amazing. So 2008 is when I moved from Texas to Napa Valley, and I worked for Kent Rasmussen, and I also made a Pinot Noir. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's amazing vintage. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Wow. It, it was wonderful. So wow, Holy this cow, is yum. this this is yeah, this is great. So um I mean this location is 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 beautiful. What are your um plans? I mean what are you going to do here? Uh, or, or and tell us actually to the listeners, you know, where did you start the other place that we visited first and over here? So the current winery is more of what they call a warehouse winery, where there is no vineyard on site. It's just production in the back and tasting room in the front. So it's been a great jump start for my career, but I always had the complaint, where are the grapes? Where's the vineyard? Where do you do all this? And so I, I did lose some business that way. So now moving to this new location that sits on 40 acres of grapes and you could see everything right in front of you. There's no questions where all the fruit comes from. We'll be making new estate wines, Zinfandel. Merlot and Petite Syrah. So it's, it's a big change to our label. We're, we're very excited about the movie. Which was going to be my next question. Uh, what, How many different uh, varietals do you produce? I think we're making about 12 to 14 different SKUs right now. That's amazing. Small lot, high-end wines. We're still keeping it, keeping with the boutique, boutique aspect of it. So, which brings me to the next question. Who is your customers? Are you available in stores? Uh... Through Wine Club, through website, how can people buy your wines? Mainly direct consumer, retail out of the tasting room. We have a website you can order from. We're, we work with a few distributors on the East Coast, not too much. Um, yeah, more direct. We do have a wine club, and we have mm-hmm. wine club pickup parties, so it's a fun thing. They get to come. Uh, I think it's every quarter we do a big party here. They pick up their wine. There's food, live music, and just a good old time. We all hang out, all the family, and just bring family, friends, and have a good time. We bring a food truck. But now at the new location, we have our own kitchen, so that makes makes life easy. So um, the uh, wine club pickup, is it? Uh, do people travel from Los Angeles or oh, yeah. other places? Oh, yeah, definitely. All around California, usually. It's kind of fun to get the, the mingle of people um Bakersfield, San Francisco, L.A., San Diego, kind of everything. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to get get in the mix with all of them and see where they're all from and what they're about. How can people be part of it? Uh, you can sign up here at the tasting room or online, and okay. uh, all the information is on our website. Or, yeah, you can come visit us in the tasting room and try all the wines, and once you realize you love them, then join the wine club. Be a part of the family. Well, um, I, I have a little uh, story to tell, and uh, I told you this earlier, but during the Armenian Wine Festival, the Guinea Fest, I was teaching the wine class, and um, I had part of my wine class was a blind tasting for uh, people to kind of understand what each varietal tastes like, the different flavor profiles. And uh, involuntarily, uh, you know, guiding them through that. And at the end of each wine, after they drank certain wine, I would ask them, um, these are all the characteristics, but the most important question, do you like it or not? And they were like, yes, we like this one, we don't like this one. And so when I came eventually to your wine, you know, they were all wowed 
uh, and they absolutely loved it. Thank you. Thank so you. I'm sure that, that yeah. I'm sure that you know if they come visit or if they taste the wine somewhere else, they're going to absolutely love it, and they are going to. Um, be following you and visiting. Thank you. Um, thank you. I appreciate it. What is, uh, um, you know, like, what, what kind of, like, funny or fun story can you think of that uh, happened throughout your career that, uh, that that was, like, made you love your job even more? Is there something that, or, or maybe not funny, or like fun, like hmm. what? It's like so many funny, s- some stories. some some like memorable experiences. <laughs> I guess I, I pride myself on being one of the best forklift drivers out oh. there, and yes, I do have one story. That actually, I don't even think anyone ever knows about because it, it happened when I was alone on a shift. But I did realize I loved it at that point. I was driving, I think, six barrels on the forklift high and i was reversing out of a door and I, so it's a stack of two right so it's two stack four three. six yeah, right exactly yeah, yeah. so six barrels at a time stack two each up high and then i was reversing out the door and i didn't realize my barrels were too high so as mm-hmm. i was reversing out the door the door actually took <gasps> out, completely took the two barrels off oh the rack gosh. and so when i left the room i only had four barrels even though <gasps> i started with six they were, the barrels were full or empty uh, they were empty oh still, man still i mean it made a loud noise the barrels fell on the ground i was freaking out i didn't want anyone else to know what happened so i had to jump down and hurriedly and put them back on the uh, racks and get them stacked back and hopefully no one noticed but you definitely saw the damage to the barrels oh the barrels did they break uh, they're still fillable but they received some major gashes to them that is so funny i don't think anyone honestly ever caught me or saw me i was like just a huge relief that no one saw but after that i was like <laughs> oh my god i love what i do this is so fun <laughs> that is amazing um I, um, w- what else I can add to this? It's, um, I mean, this is a wonderful experience. This is an amazing location. Thank you. I can just come live here. Me too. That's how yeah. I feel bad. I don't think I'm ever going to go home anymore. Yeah. This is, uh, so, uh, who, who else is part of the winery? It's you and your dad. Yes. And also Megan, who's my fiance. Okay. It's just pretty much us three grinding it every day. She works, she works her butt off. That's for sure. My dad just recently moved up to Paso to be a part of the team and he's been helping doing our financial and accounting. And then I do the labor and the winemaking and we all have our roles and we all work well together. It's like a little family. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, do you have, like, each each family member does exactly. a certain yes. thing? Well, um, I mean, I am going to post some pictures. I try to take some live videos for people to see. But really, um, you know, come out here, experience the beautiful pastorables, the surroundings. You can bring your own lunch. Are you going to be able to have lunches here? Yes, we do have. You have a kitchen? Yes, we do. There's oh. a commercial kitchen inside, and yes, we do have a chef on staff. So, that so nice. what about birthday parties, weddings, special events, yes, weddings? Correct. Oh, yes, that, that, everything here that makes it even more exciting yes. because it, this is an absolutely gorgeous place for a wedding or a birthday yes, party. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so if you are planning your wedding or a birthday party, Definitely. check out the website, and this would be a memorable place to come and have your wedding celebration. And 
you know, lots of fun. Shoot, this is where I think we're going to end up getting married now that this is our new winery. It just makes it easy. All right, I'm beautiful. looking forward to the invite. Of course. Of course <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. That'll be a big party of friends, family, and it'll be a good time. Oh, awesome. All right, well, Edward, thank you so much. I wish you uh, and the family lots of success. Thank you. Thank you for having uh, Lots of prosperity, lots of tasty wines to come, and uh, we'll be back. Um, and I'll post all the information for our listeners to join the club, come and celebrate the wine club pickup events and everything. Thank so. you so much. I appreciate it. All right. It till the next time. Thank you. All right. And that was Anush. And you know what? Every time I hear her with these wine segments, it really calms me down, man. Yeah. It's really nice. It's really nice. And she interviewed Edward Cholakian. And uh, what was his winery called again? Lusa Della Terra. That's beautiful, man. It's got that French, Italian, everything involved in that one. Yes, it means luxury of the land. Luxury of the land. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We had one that ran across the land. Now we got one that was luxury of the land. <laughs> kind of like calms you down after the 110, 120 uh, heat heat ratio on, yeah. the, on the land and everything like that. Hopefully, so. hopefully, uh, Tama had a, uh, a nice Armenian wine after uh, recovering. So, oh, I'm sure she did. <laughs> I would, I, I would definitely. And thank you, Anish, for this great wine segment again. And folks, keep listening to our show. We're trying to make this a regular basis again. And uh, you know, it is what it is. What it is. When I got a knee problem like that, I, I couldn't really get on to even go to the studio to do anything. But I'm glad I'm back, and uh, we'll see what we can do with it. Thank you so much, Brian. And tune in to YoRadio.com. And, uh, you know, it's a free app. It's downloading uh, music, all sorts of uh, American music and all that. But you know what? Uh, sometimes you need a, a little relief and listen to some uh, nice, uh, what kind of music they got. Oh, they got all kinds of music, Jono. Right, got, right. I, I know. They've got you know stuff from all the different decades of American rock and roll and, 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 and you know what? some oh, R&B, rock and hip-hop. Roll. Rock and roll and jazz is so popular in Armenia. Oh yeah! So there you have it. We got jazz music. They they yeah. can they can listen to a jazz uh, station too, can't they? Yes, absolutely. Ah, beautiful. What, what what else do you guys want? Anyway, thank you again, Genatsit Kisherpati. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another episode of A Toast to Armenia with Jano Kabinjian. Find the show online at armeniaproud.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash armeniaproud or Twitter at armeniaproud. Get all of our podcasts now at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.